Welcome to Point with Daryl Jones, speaker, author, and lead pastor of the Rock Fellowship Church in Miami, Florida, and president of Point Ministries. Our goal at Point Ministries is to point you to the Word of God, where Jesus is the point. Today's message is from the Chasing After the Wind series, where Dr. Jones teaches through the entire book of Ecclesiastes, and we learn that true satisfaction is found only in knowing the Lord and enjoying the life He provides. Now let's join him for today's message. More from Dr. Jones in a moment, but first, during this month, you can request your MP3 download of the sermon series, Time for Your Checkup, with your donation to the ministry. This is a great resource where Dr. Jones teaches us to examine and engage the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. To give, go to daryljones.org. That's D-A-R-Y-L jones.org and request your copy today. Now let's rejoin Dr. Jones for the rest of today's message. Have you ever watched TV and saw something on the news and you thought, that's not right? Have you ever seen some mistreatment in your neighborhood and heard about something that was getting passed as legislation and thought, that's, that's, that's not right. You know, we all have this like internal something in us that when we see something being done wrong to someone else, we have that thing going on in our mind that says that's not right. And oftentimes when we see these things, especially in the news, whether it be in our own community or in the world around us, we can be thinking like, why does God allow that stuff? Like, like if God is good, why could that happen? That should not have happened. That should not be allowed. We've all experienced that. And let me tell you something. It's not new. It's not new. We see right here. The wisest king to ever walk the earth. Speak about observations that he has witnessed in life, in humanity, in the activities of men and women around the world. And he says, I noticed that all over the place in all times, stuff just keeps happening. That's not right. What is going on? And as he makes this observation, he says some things in here that I think is very much important for us to embrace and understand as we navigate this thing we call life. And what he does, he pinpoints something that's the issue. And he says, okay, there's something wrong in our world. And the thing that I see that's wrong in our world is not just it's hot in the summer and humid. Yeah, sometimes you'd be like, man, sometimes it's heat to make you accept Jesus. He's like, you don't want to go to hell. It's hot. You know, it's like, but what he's saying, the thing that's wrong is mistreatment. In this passage, he speaks about two things that sometimes can seem synonymous, but they're not necessarily the same thing. He speaks towards injustice and he speaks towards oppression. And it's important for us to understand what's being said biblically about these issues because one of the things that we're experiencing in our world today, the world has a lot to say about injustice and oppression, but it doesn't always line up with what the Bible has to say about it. And today I want us to take just a peek. This is not an exhaustive study on it, but I want us to get a grasp on what does the Bible have to say about these issues. And we've all seen it. When we think about injustice, 
we're thinking about when the law or policies are not being upheld with one as should be with the other. We're speaking about partiality. Those receiving benefits that are not merited, they haven't deserved or earned them, it's just being given based off whatever criteria and then others suffering because they don't fit their criteria. That's unjust. When needs are not being met and neglected from those who can provide, that's just examples of injustice. But we also see, you know, uh, oppression when there are those who carry levels of power and they mistreat or abuse those who don't have such power. Now, I do want to highlight something we're going to see in this text, and I'm going to unpack it a little more later. Power is not the issue. It's the use of it. You know, there's one thing that's going on in our culture is that power, evil, and then everybody's still chasing power. Power is not the problem. It's that when you have power or authority, how do you use it? Do you act justly or unjust? Do you administer wisely or do you oppress? He's speaking here and he's talking about, you know, I've observed this and I've seen, and I want you to notice how he frames it. He says, there is wickedness at the place of judgment and there is wickedness at the place of righteousness. He's saying something here. He's, He's actually being a little more specific. He's not speaking in general terms. He's saying, in the places that God has ordained where justice and judgment should be served, there's wickedness. And in places where righteousness is to be upheld, there's wickedness. You know what he's saying? God has ordained places and functions and offices to function in a just and righteous manner. Problem is when you have wicked people sitting in those seats. You know, Jesus uses examples and illustrations and what we call parables one particular when he talks about the unjust judge not doing what he's supposed to do we've seen injustices in our culture in our country even in our time and we have the writer writing thousands of years ago about the same problem and what he's highlighting is this is not a god problem Because notice, one of the things he keeps highlighting throughout this book, we we saw it in chapter one, going through there. When he keeps making this reference under the sun, remember, he's not speaking about just, you know, know, we're up under the sun that shines and gives light. What he's speaking about is just totally human affairs devoid of godly influence. That's what he's highlighting. So when he's talking about under the sun, What he's talking about is issues of what we may experience even in, say, like our public school system. Institutionalized godlessness. God is removed. No decision is based off of God or his word. And we see the consequences. Wickedness, injustice, oppression. He says, that's the problem. But what, what what can get troubling is... Why? Why does this happen? And this is, this is where we have a hard time wrestling with this. When I talk about uh, an awesome God, a good God. Uh, because we see the problem is this mistreatment of others. But 
One thing we see in the text is he tells us that God is allowing this to happen because our need for God is exposed. Say exposed. Meaning, when you're sitting there and you're watching the TV and something bad happens and somebody said, man, they're wrong for that. Ask them why. Why is that wrong? Like, like honestly. Let's think about it. We talked about power is not the issue. Issue is, see, I'm going to get a little philosophical. All right. I'm get a little philosophical. Uh, there was a famous philosopher named Nietzsche, Friedrich Nietzsche. And one of the things he wrote on, he, on the issue of power, one of the things he talked about was strength and weakness. And what he's saying, strengths, the nature of it is to dominate. The nature of weakness is to be dominated. It's kind of this base level. All right, that's the, the basic thing on Nietzsche. What's interesting is, if that's true, he was like, if that's true, there is no God, and the only thing that really exists is strength and weakness. Now, that does coincide with, it gets scientific, Darwinian evolutionary theory, which survival of the fittest. So when you see a lion run down a gazelle and eat it, you don't think nothing wrong with that. It's dinner. Well, that's what nature does, right? You know, you see, you know, you see that frog stick out tongue, grab a fly. You don't feel like nothing wrong with that. That's, that's just how nature is, strength and weakness. Nietzsche saw that in humankind, meaning there's really nothing wrong in the world other than strength and weakness, meaning those who are strong exploit and use the weak. And that's what you see. So if you're getting taken advantage of, get stronger, get smarter. Use mental strength, use physical strength, use strength in numbers, however. And he thought there's nothing really in morality. Now, if we function like that in real life, there's never a moment where we would say something ought to be or should be. I mean, if you see an old lady walking down the street, and a young dude come and snatch her purse. If Nietzsche's right, ain't nothing wrong with it. She just old and weak. She lost. That's a full life application. I mean, I'm just being straight up. If I get three dudes and I talk them into breaking your house and robbing you, ain't nothing wrong with that. We just stronger than you. You lost. That's really a full application of Nietzsche's teaching when it comes to human endeavors. But we would sit there and be like, no, that ain't right. You don't snatch an old lady purse. You don't do that. Matter of fact, old ladies just give you money. You just say, can I borrow some money? They just give you $20. <laughs> you know that? What I'm saying is, you know, at the end of the day, we do know stuff is wrong when we see it's wrong. When we see people hurt others, when we see maliciousness, when we see slander, when we see direct violence, we... No, it's wrong. And he's highlighting this. And he says this. He says, the reason is God uses it in the sinful fallen world to expose our need for him. Our need for him. There were some universities that did some studies where they would take students and they would break them into groups. And they would make one group the, the higher class and the other group the lower class. And they would put them like in, in an apartment or a living area and tell them to live as such. And they'd give them parameters how to live. And they found that just in their human nature, those who had been told they were in this higher class, they started to mistreat those who were in the lower class. And those being told they were in the lower class, they would just accept it. There was another university that did a study that made students... And they created like a, like, a, like a jail cell, like a prison. 
and certain students went in and they were prisoners. And the other students were like the warden and the, and the security and the, and, the, and, the, uh, and the guards. And just playing these roles, university students start to do heinous things towards each other. The mistreatment was mind-boggling. There was psychological destruction that happened to those that were being abused as prisoners. And think, these classmates, and they're working on a grade, but just playing these roles, and it exposed something in our psyche. You want to know what he's highlighting? It goes directly against what we would call liberal theology. Liberal theology is say everybody's good. There's good in everybody. The Bible says, no, we are sick. We are liars at heart. We are evil and we need a savior. This whole thing, when you see injustice, remind us, man, we need a savior. You see a judge make an unjust ruling. We say we need a just judge. We see politicians that sit in power and they mistreat and abuse people and their authority. And you say, like, we need a, we, we need a righteous leader. It's all to stir up our hunger for Jesus, y'all. It all is. Everything that we see, when we see this evil, is the point. We need a savior. We need somebody to step in. We need the king of kings, and we need the Lord of lords. And this is what the writer here is getting at. Because what did he say? He says, look, he said, when, I, when you really look at it, all the stuff futile, hard work, possessions, pleasure, accumulation, material gain, intellectualism, it all is like vapor in the wind. It all goes away. It means nothing. He says, matter of fact, at best, humans and the animals, we both got the same breath and we both gonna die. He said, this where, this where he started, it's almost like that philosopher philosophizing and sitting there looking back like, I did all that work and I'm gonna die and be buried just like I buried my dog. And then in a couple generations, nobody gonna even remember me. It's like, I'm grateful for my great, 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 great granddaddy. You know what? I don't know his name. I don't know anything about him. Matter of fact, I don't even know what he looked like. Because you look at my skin color and my features, I don't even know. I know he existed. Why am I bringing this kind of point up? Because what he's saying is, when it comes to the heights, when it comes to the lows, when it comes to all the human endeavors, there is an end. We all meet death. And we have to wrestle with this. Because he lumps this death experience that we will all experience with God judging the righteous and the wicked. He says, with all this injustice, with all this oppression that's going on, every last one of us is going to have to stand before the Lord. Every last one of us. The good, the bad, and the ugly. I want you to think about this comparison. He does all this comparing humans to animals. You ever watch National Geographic? You ever watch what animals do? You ever watch the Animal Channel? You know, animals do some wild stuff. You know, some of them throw up and go back and eat it. Like, that's gross. I always think about that when people like to take behaviors of animals and say, well, they, these mammals do it and humans can do it. I'm like, well, some of them animals, they, they eat their young. I don't think you're going to be advocating that. 
and I'm hungry, man. Well, you know, that two-year-old, kind of meaty. I mean, it's like, right, you know. In this text, he's not saying that we're exactly like the animals. What he is saying is, though, when it comes to matters of eternity, when it comes to really impact in the affairs of the world or creation, he's saying, like, just like animals die, we're going to die, and we're all going to have to stand before the Lord. And he's calling our attention to, will we pursue justice and righteousness during the time we have in this life? Because our life is here, and it's gone just like that. He tells us what's wrong is that we, people get mistreated. He tells us why God allows it to expose our need for him. So in that, he calls us to seek justice and righteousness. He makes this statement in here, and he's, we've seen this before in the last couple of chapters, where he's saying all this stuff in life is meaningless. He said, at the end of the day, enjoy the Lord. Enjoy what God gave you. The life God gave you, enjoy it. The family God gave you, enjoy it. The opportunities and, and, and the, even the privileges God has given you, enjoy it. Sometimes we talk about privilege like it's a negative word. It's not a negative word in and of itself. It's what you do with your privilege. You know, you, you inherit a lot of money. That's a privilege. What do you do with it? You squander it on yourself and living lavishly and prodigal living and, and living wild. Or do you give God glory and you help others with it? What do you do with it? Do you have seats of power? You sit in a seat and you can make decisions. You can give influence. Do you do so to the glory of God? I say that because in this passage, again, he highlights when he talks about the children of Adam and how we have to deal with this. And then he moves in the text of enjoying the activities because that is his reward. What he's getting at is. Whatever God actually gives to you, he's given it to you for you to enjoy it. Don't let the world make you think like it's meaningless and you go to complaining about what God gave you. That's the world's game. The world wants you to be in a state of discontentment. I don't like it, don't want it, I need more. I don't have what they have. I don't have what she has. I don't have what he has. I wish I was this. I wish I had this job. I wish I won this. I wish, no, no. What is God giving you? And what is God calling you to? And pursue that. And as you do so, do so justly. Do so righteously. This is something that's important to the Lord. I'm going to put a couple of um, scriptures up that I want you to write down. I want you to remember these. You don't have to memorize them. I want you to remember these. And I want you to go back to in Isaiah. Chapter 1, verse 17, he says this, learn to do what is good, pursue justice, correct the oppressor, defend the rights of the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Micah 6, 8, mankind, he has told each of you what is good and what it, the Lord requires of you to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. Jesus in Luke chapter 11, verse 42, <clears throat> he said, but woe to you Pharisees, you give a tenth of mint, rue, and every kind of herb, but you bypass justice 
and love for God. These things you should have done without neglecting the others. These three passages have something in common. It takes out God's will, God's heart. He says, look, I want you to pursue righteousness and justice. Treat people justly. Don't take advantage. Don't abuse. Don't mistreat. Don't bully. I even love Jesus. You know, you know what, what's so big about what we just read in that Luke 11:42. See, it says a tenth. The word tithe, tenth, it's the same thing. He says, look, you're tithing, but you don't live in justice and love God. Meaning, there are some people, I'm going to do these things for God that's going to give me a check mark, but I'm not going to really live for the Lord. And he says, no, you should be tithing, but you know what? You should be very much concerned about justice and love of God. He's saying that you can do actions where your heart is not in allegiance with the Lord. Jesus calling them to full allegiance to the Lord. It's important for us. When we think about this, we sit in a world and in a country where we can, we can, we can vote for leaders. We can, we can speak to, we can write letters. We can, we can even, we can even protest. Protests are not a problem. Now we need to protest righteously. There are ways of things that can look. But we have ways to pursue justice and righteousness. But we're not talking about justice and righteousness that accords with what the world has to say. We're talking about what scripture has to say. What does it look like to walk in accordance with God's will and God's way? What does it look like for us to love neighbor God's way? What does that look like for the authorities? According to Romans 13, our government is supposed to reward good, punish evil. You know what I love? The psalmist said, Woe to the nation that calls good evil and evil good. That's where we are today. But you know what? Even when we stand for what is good, what is holy, and what is righteous, and the world comes back against us, we stand. We don't cower, we don't fade. Because at the end of Ecclesiastes, we're going to keep going back to the end every time. Last two verses. In 12, verses 13 and 14, he says, When all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this. Fear God, keep his commands, because this is for all humanity. For God will bring every act to judgment, including everything hidden, every hidden thing, whether good or evil. He's calling us to stand. He's calling us to stand. He's calling us to get serious about the Lord. He's calling us to get serious about his word. And he's calling us to not only ourselves walk in it, but call others and even our leaders to walk in it. We walk with that expectation. We live with that expectation. We give, may I say that, demand. And we don't applaud or we don't encourage wickedness in the place where judgment should be, or in the place where justice should be. We don't accept or applaud or encourage wickedness in the place where righteousness should be. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to close with that because a lot of us, we've gotten too used to, and it becomes a black eye. You know, we, we see pastors and spiritual leaders out here 
walking and wilding out, living like the world, and it's become almost callous to it, like it's not a big deal. Or we support it or allow it and make excuses that is not so. Our expectation is that our leaders imitate Christ so that we may follow and imitate them as they imitate Christ. Leaders we vote on, our expectation and demand should be that they act justly. We can't demand, I'm not, I'm, we're not a theocracy. I can't demand or ever even expect as a country, we're going to be this Christian country. You don't force people to Christ. You can't. You must be born again. You got to believe. If you're going to force somebody down, and like you're going to hold them to a gun and say, you're going to believe Jesus. And they're like, yeah, I'm going to believe Jesus. That's, a, that's false. Mm-mm. It's a heart surrendered and given over to him. So I'm not saying that's what our leaders need to be forcing people to be Christians. What we are saying is our leaders need to be acting justly. They need to apply the law as they should, not acting in partiality. Not based off ethnicity, race, culture, hair texture, skin color, none of that stuff. May we seek righteousness. May we seek justice. Thank you for listening to Point with Daryl Jones. This was just one part from the current series, Chasing After the Wind. 14 messages that walk you through the entire book of Ecclesiastes, where we learn that true satisfaction is found only in knowing the Lord and enjoying the life he provides. If this ministry has blessed you, we invite you to partner with us today. Please visit daryljones.org. That's D-A-R-Y-L jones.org. Your financial generosity keeps us on the air, and we are grateful for your faithfulness. And remember, keep making Jesus the point.